Here we are in middle of Q1, 2022, the year that we've been calling go time. We've gone through all the disruptions of the year of transition, 2022 being absolute go time. And we find ourselves dealing with yet another possible disruption. How will the war in Ukraine and Russia affect construction directly? How might it indirectly affect construction, both in your markets and in your geographic areas over the course of the next two or three months, maybe even the next two or three years? We're going to hit on that and a few of the things that are really important for you to be monitoring as the leader of your design and construction firm over the next 10 or 15 minutes. Welcome to the Pioneer Cast. I'm Dwayne Abels, founder and president of Pioneer IQ. I hope over the course of the next 10 minutes, you're able to gather some insights to help you and your team better prepare and plan for any additional disruptions that could be affecting you and your clients and your marketplace over the course of the next several months. Again, helping us out this morning, bringing the wisdom to the table is our partner, Keith Prather. Keith, thanks for being here. Hey, good morning, everybody. So, Keith, you know, you and I've had a, a ton of fun with uh, all the market momentum, all the changes that are affecting the design and construction industry in a really good way over the last four, five, six months. You know, here we are again at the beginning of March and we're looking at this, you know, serious situation. Uh, but again, it's another disruption for design and construction leaders. I'm anxious to hear over the course of the next eight or 10 minutes your perspective on several things that could directly impact. Im impact uh, the design and construction industry, uh, but then also, are there any things that could indirectly impact um, our industry as a whole, especially when it comes to our owners and their business plans and how it might affect uh, slow down or increase some of their project volume that we've already got, maybe even on the books for 2022. Thanks for joining us. Oh, you bet. Yeah, really glad to be here this morning. I wish, wish it was under different circumstances. I wish we had a different topic to talk about, but um, it, it is what it is. So, um, and, and Dwayne, I want to say right at the outset, I mean, uh, we're going to talk here about hard business, uh, but, you know, it doesn't doesn't eliminate the, the humanistic feeling that I think you and I both talked about off camera where, you know, we really feel our hearts kind of bleed, you know, for what's happened to the Ukrainian people and what's happening in the country is absolutely just devastating. And, um, I think the fallout yeah. is going to be immense for years to come. But um, but right now, let's focus on business and let's focus on what's happening. Um, but that being said, we put together a few slides. I just wanted to, every, every time we talk to an executive, the first thing they want to know is why why is Putin doing this? So I think it's worth just a minute to talk about that. So the slide's a little bit tough to see, but if you, if you take a look at the light blue countries, so... You know, we're looking at, you know, Turkey, Greece, Italy, Germany, you know, Denmark, Norway. Those countries were part of NATO uh, before the fall of the Soviet Union. So after 1989, um, after the fall of the Soviet Union, you see the yellow line there that sort of demarks where the brand new NATO expansion was. Now you've got all these countries that really border Russia. So you've got Estonia, Latvia, um, you know, Poland, uh, Slovakia, Hungary, uh, Romania. You've got all these countries that have become NATO members since 1989. So if you're Vladimir Putin, what you see is that you're slowly being encircled. And that's what really kind of got the hair standing up on the back of his neck was, he, you know, what he believes in his mind are sworn enemies, you know, now slowly cutting off what is his Western flank. But if you take a look at maybe what underscores it, he's a, 
the people around him are strategic thinkers. It's strategic in the sense that they do worry about things like their national supply chain and how they move goods in and out of the country. And he thinks like a military officer does. And and um, and so one of the things that he would be watching is what are my risks? What 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 could happen that would shut my supply chain off? So what we have in the big red circles are his ports that he uses to move goods in and out of the country. So at the very top there, you've got Murmansk and you've got another port um, that sits up there, you know, near the uh, Arctic Circle. And those are not year-round ports. He can only get in and out of those ports certain times of the year just because of the ice cover. Then you have an area like down around Kaliningrad in Poland, which is a, what they call an exclave. And an exclave means simply that it belongs to Russia, but it's surrounded by NATO countries. He can't move a ship in there and offload a bunch of containers and then easily move those containers into Russia. He's got to go through NATO countries to get there, and in a time of war, they'll choke that port off. You can see uh, where we have a little uh, yellow number two up there. That's St. Petersburg, and St. Petersburg is generally a pretty good port, but he's got to go through two NATO countries in a very narrow strait to be able to get products in and out of there. So in a time of war, St. Petersburg would be completely choked off. Then if you kind of moved on around, you see um, you know, he's got ports down in the south that are um, landlocked, so he doesn't have any way to get in and out of there without going through Iran. Um, so very expensive. And then on the far on the far right of the screen, you see his ports on his east coast, and he can get um, you know in in port number one there um, or item number one, he can get just a very small container ship into that port, and then it takes him nearly ten days to move those goods by rail all the way across the country. In wartime, that railway line would get knocked out so easy it, it would be um, indefensible. So all he's left with really is what we have uh, down around Ukraine, down around Crimea, and those ports that are there. They're all season, all year uh, ports. And so that's how he believes he's that's his only opening right now to be able to keep his supply lines open. So that's that's what he's looking at. And there is a choke point, the Turkish Straits, uh, there's, there's a choke point in there. Turkey is a member of NATO, so is Greece. And so Turkey is the real linchpin here uh, that, that could be interesting as we move forward. But so all this being said, okay, we see right now Ukraine's being leveled, heavy sanctions being levied against Russia, basically cutting Russia off from the rest of the world. Uh, we still are seeing oil flow, but it's uh, we're finding more and more companies not willing to actually purchase Russian oil. Uh, we see a lot of oil producers now pulling their funds out of Russian production. So the, the Russian oil industry, by all intents and purposes, is slowly getting choked off. Um, but there's a couple big things, a couple big areas where we want to talk about. So let's start with oil. This is one of the few direct impacts that I think the construction industry will find. Um, you know, obviously, we saw WTI and Brent, which is uh, the, the global price of oil, go above $100. Right before we jumped on our call here, Dwayne, uh, I think WTI was trading at about 111. Uh, Brent was up around 112. Uh, and as as you and I have gone back over the over the years, and we've looked at what's happened to the U.S. economy when we have oil prices above 100. dollars uh, Believe it or not, we weathered a, a period of time from 20 about 2011 to about 2014, where we had super high oil prices. And what it did is it just softened GDP. It pulled it down to about two percent. And GDP just kind of hung there. So we were still growing as a country, but it was almost like, you know, we had this really strong headwind. We were trying to fight our way through. 
Um, and indirectly where this may hit construction is consumer spending in the U.S. is about 70% of GDP. And what happens is when consumers get hit with higher gas prices and higher energy prices and higher food prices, they tend to cut back on discretionary spending. So, you know, we don't we don't go to movie theaters as much. Well, we don't do that anymore uh, anyway. But um, but we don't go out and we and we don't spend as much on those things that can kind of create some interesting commercial construction opportunities. So so that's one of the big risks here, I think, is that uh, both directly and in actual construction costs going up to be able to operate and uh, to be able to pull off a, a project and then indirectly from consumers being hit with these higher oil prices that ultimately turn out to be higher gas prices and higher diesel prices. Um, the other area we've got to watch on the consumer spending front, and this is more indirect, but we've got to watch what happens with oil and, and well, we've already talked about oil, but with grains. So between Russia and Ukraine, they represent the, the number one and number five largest exporters of wheat in the world. So they account collectively for about 31% of all wheat exported around the world. And if you've watched videos, like I know you and I both have and um, stayed up till one o'clock in the morning watching Fox News, right? But um, Ukraine right now is just getting leveled. And um, it's it's areas that are heavy farming areas. So if you, if you look at the chart on the right or the, the map, uh, fighting and conflicts are happening all over the country now. But Russia is basically choking off all the areas in light green and dark green. It's almost like Putin is very smart to the fact that the world has to eat and that if he can control the wheat, you know, sort of the breadbasket of Ukraine, that he's got leverage moving forward once the war is over. So um, the dark red line to the, to the left there is kind of ultimately what his goal is. He wants everything to basically the right of that red line or, or to, his, uh, you know, to the east of that. And so he's gone in, and one of his ways to get it is obviously to take Kiev, which you know you've seen heavy bombardment there, but also some of the areas um, around, um, uh, you know, the, the areas that border Russia and on the, on the Russian border there, just getting leveled. So anyway, make make long story short, these areas are not going to be able to produce wheat for at least the next year. So we're probably looking at the harvest of maybe. 2024 before we really start to see Ukrainian wheat come back on the world market. In the meantime, Russian wheat now is going to be under sanction. And even though they've tried to keep um, as, as, as few sanctions off of those commodities that would hurt global citizens, right? Those, you know, you, you don't want to punish Russia and at the same time send the rest of the, rest of the world into a depression. So they're trying to limit sanctions and trying to hurt Russia where they can without punishing the world for what Russia's doing. Um, and because of that, then I think what you'll see is maybe some of that wheat moving, but we've, we've got a real concern on our hands about what happens to food prices late in 22 and then early into 23. Um, as we've shown before, world food prices right now are already at all-time highs. So this is from the United Nations, and basically the yellow line is what I'm watching. The yellow line represents inflation-adjusted food prices. And as of just last month, I mean, they were as high as they've been going all the way back to 1975. And now with oil surging and with what's happening in the wheat markets, we think they'd probably go above and, and set all-time records. Just as an example of that, you, this is just a wheat chart, just to show you kind of where we are. Um, wheat's right at $9 a bushel, which is almost an all-time high. The, the last two spikes, the one that you see that happened kind of around 2012, 
is when oil was up around 120 a barrel for a very short period of time. And then the other spike is when it hit 147 a barrel in 2008. So, so we are headed back there. Stiefel Nicholas thinks that we easily visit $10 a bushel. Could go much higher than that. A uh, couple other things too. Farmers just watching. One of the other big commodities that comes out of Russia is fertilizer. And Russia supplies, you know, I've heard as high as maybe 18% of the world's fertilizer that we use for farming and agriculture. And you can see where fertilizer prices are already. Um, you and I have talked before, uh, talked to a, a, an Iowan farmer, and he was saying that a year ago when he was going to go produce his crops, let's say he produces uh, or, he, or he farms at 500 acres, his input cost to farm that 500 acres was $80,000 a little over a year ago. Today, to farm the same 80 acres, it's $220,000. Mm. So think about what that does to his output prices. His output prices have got to go up commensurately with that. So again, does that impact construction directly? No. Um, but indirectly, remember, 70% of U.S. GDP is driven by consumer spending. And so mm -hmm. if, you, if you eat more of their pocketbook on, on just some of the essentials like food and energy, they just don't have a lot of money to spend on other stuff. And so that's where the trickle down, it really starts to hit us on the trickle down. Uh, diesel prices as an input for everybody. This is going to be one of those direct construction costs. And so you can see diesel prices right now hovering in highs that we really haven't seen since 2008 when we went to 147 a barrel. Uh, but we're right now at those levels we saw between 2012 and 2014. And you're definitely going to feel this in the construction sector. It's definitely going to hit your pocketbook um, and hit your you know, construction costs. But then at the same time, um, you know, we're going to start to see that impact again, sectors like farming and, um, you know, other sectors and trucking and, and some of those industries. So we've got another direct impact there. The biggest direct impact may come in what we're going to call speculative, speculative, if I could say it, pricing for certain core materials, certain raw materials, right? So I want to point out to everybody that Number one, Russia only accounts for about 3% of the world's aluminum and only about 2% of the world's copper. They also produce palladium. They produce some other um, you know, raw materials that go into production of things like microchips and, 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 other, and other items. But what we really worry about construction is how they impact like the steel market and you know, stainless steel and some of those, those raw materials that we definitely need um, you know, in some of our big projects. Aluminum inventories, if you take a look on the right there, were already low prior to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So we believe, obviously, that they're going to continue to go a little bit lower, which is pushing the price of aluminum higher. Um, so far, in the first week of fighting, we haven't seen a tremendous, like a, what we call a super surge in prices, but, but that could come. Um, we know that global warehouse levels, again, on all these metals were already low <clears throat> going into the going into the conflict. So so this just adds pressure on top of it. And many of these items are ones that are getting hit pretty heavy by sanctions. And so they're not flowing the way they were. Again, Ukraine has been completely cut off. So um, those are just some of the things we wanted to talk about just very quickly with everybody. The, the biggest thing that we could get across is that um, two things. One is it's still a developing situation. Conditions can change positively and they can change, they can change negatively. Um, 
The second thing is uh, the U.S. economy, and I don't have it here, but the U.S. economy is actually very, very strong. You and I talked about this off camera, Dwayne, but we think 2022 is actually absolutely going to be a blowout year for construction. If you take a look at some of those industries, I mean, manufacturing construction is up 30% last year and expected to grow at least that fast this year. Other sectors that have been in hiatus now for two years are really starting to come back into fray. Uh, you know, we think everything from um, healthcare spending to education, maybe even some religious construction, uh, you know, churches. Uh, we think that some of those sectors are really going to start to take back off, but then we think those that were doing well will continue to do well. Uh, you know, we know that the infrastructure bill is going to kick in, and some estimates suggest that we're probably going to see the infrastructure bill boost construction spending each year by about 7%. So we've got all those really nice tailwinds. We still see business investment is still, we've we broken an all time record again in January for business investment and spending. And what they do with those funds is they're expanding facilities and they're, they're creating you know, automated uh, assembly lines and they're improving their HVAC systems. And so they're creating all this activity uh, that, that really helps the construction sector. Again, we hit an all time high at nearly $80 billion and annualized spending just on the private side. Um, and that does not include just pure construction. Construction spending on top of that is going to be significantly mm -hmm. higher. So we've got all those really nice tailwinds. Um, and the Ukraine situation simply creates, like you said early on, creates a couple of direct impacts that we've got to watch, which I think are going to be important but maybe mild and that is again on oil prices and then some of those raw material prices that we know are going to go up and then indirectly we've got to watch u.s consumption u.s consumer spending because as food prices go up and as again oil and energy prices go up it could impact consumer spending in a way that that pulls the economy down and again when we've seen this historically it doesn't mean recession but what it could mean is that we grow at, you know, one and a half to two percent instead of the three to three and a half percent growth we thought we were going to get. And when you, you know, when you talk about those percent rates on a twenty-one trillion dollar economy, those become big numbers. So um, again, in general, I mean, our heart goes out to the Ukrainian people. The overall impact on the U.S. economy right now looks like it's going to be fairly minimal, from a business mm -hmm. perspective. Um, it's it's sad, uh, but it's it's kind of a hiccup. Creates a slight headwind, but generally your conditions should remain somewhat unchanged, and we should still see a very good construction year. Excellent, Keith. Thank you. Um, just as a quick heads up, we're going to continue to monitor this. Things are changing, you know, fairly rapidly here. Um, this this update's helping us realize some of the direct and indirect um, things that we need to be watching. We'll continue to monitor these things for you and get more briefs to you, uh, get some new updates back out to you. Uh, the other thing I just want to make note of, Keith, is um, over the course of the next couple of weeks, you and I are looking very heavily at interest rates, um, what they're projected to do, when they're projected to increase, if they're going to increase, and then also maybe the more, most important factor is, is how that could impact uh, both slow down or speed up construction in different sectors and different geographies over the course of the next year or two. So Keith, thank you. And uh, we'll continue to be praying for Ukraine and the whole situation there.